0: This is Elle, the job escape artist. And this
1: is, just give me a moment, Jay. And <laughs> welcome to Work the Unworkable.
0: Even in its final days, 2020 is still doing the absolute most. Oh, yes. Hello, second wave of pandemic. Uh, hello. And many of us are trying to cope with worsening mental health generally, um and in the workplace either as a result of the conditions of the pandemic or even pre-pandemic because let's be real the workplace was challenging for many of us before 2020 say it again please (laughs) for the record jay and i are not mental health professionals so we do not have the training to formally diagnose ourselves or anyone with any sort of mental health condition or speak authoritatively about the subject but As we elevate the conversation regarding mental health and wellness, particularly with respect to the workplace, I'd wager that many of us have acquired a new vocabulary, albeit basic, that helps to clarify what we're experiencing emotionally and mentally at work and what these experiences may be attributable to. For me, the worst time of the week is Sunday nights. The dread of another work week At an organization that doesn't value its employees reporting to a supervisor with extremely low emotional intelligence
1: intelligence
0: and unreasonable
1: expectations yes please we need to have a conversation about these folks and the training they need
0: (laughs) yes yes (laughs) ma'am um and then completing work that is either way beyond my skill set or so basic that i start to wonder about my own competence And so, for the last few years, work-related anxiety has been a consistent part of my and perhaps your Sunday nights. Yeah. Today, we're talking about work-related anxiety, specifically the kind of stress that is induced by work that leads to anxiety. And this is distinguishable from managing an anxiety disorder while at work, which is a a much more in-depth discussion we'll share the stressful conditions that have contributed to our work-related anxiety, as well as strategies or tools that we've used to navigate it. So, Jay, building on this concept of fatigue and its drivers, including workplace anxiety, in your experience, what are some of the signs that your workplace is doing the most?
1: I mean, you touched on this, L, around Sunday nights and the dread. I don't know about you, but for me, this has literally been like an existential <laughs> sense of dread. Like the zombies yes. are coming for me tomorrow when I yes. walk into my office. <laughs> yes. And so that's part of it, right? You just don't want your weekends to end. Mm-hmm. That also depends, and we'll talk about this later on whether or not your weekends even started. Because sometimes you have those bosses who make you put your leave on a spreadsheet, even on weekends, which is crazy. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it looks like constant headaches to the point where really got to hide the bottle of a leave because you can't be taking those every time you get a migraine. Girl, your liver is telling you no. I know. I know. <laughs> I've been good about it. I. I'm closely look at those labels of how frequently <laughs> you can take it there's tension throughout my entire body mm. where i mean i'm just like a tree trunk right i got so many knots all over the place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it look yeah thank you to massages which <clears throat> we can no longer get now right. looking forward to those Girl, i got me a massage gun mm. i will talk about it later Ooh, Great i need to get I need to find out which brand you got. I was thinking of picking up one for myself. Okay. There's those times where, you know, you just go to brunch and someone's like, hey, Shay, how's work? And I just burst into tears. (laughs) Can't, nothing else. I remember my friend came to pick me up for dinner one time, asked, how's it going? Are things better? And I cried all the way to the restaurant and then Mm. pulled myself together enough for the delicious food but not a cute look. <laughs> and that goes into the inability to manage really anything outside of work or think about anything outside of work. Yeah. It's paralyzing, right? Even when you step into a meeting, you get an email, you haven't even looked at the subject line. You just see who the sender is yes. and your shoulders shoot up a mile in total dread and anticipation for it. Oh no, what are they gonna reel re, re- me out for this time? Right, right. But that's me. What about you? I mean,
0: you know, yes, 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 and yes to everything you just said, because I've experienced all all of those things to one degree or another. Um, you know, I open with like my Sunday night blues and you hit it right on the head. Like it isn't just mere sadness, it is it is um gut wrenching, it is it is so profound that it starts your week off on a very negative note. And it's it's a a feeling that is hard to escape from as the week progresses. Um, you know, sort of related to that is a sign is that I'm not sleeping very well, right? You know, Sunday night blues being sad is one thing, but we're also talking about not being able to sleep right, and so Monday morning, when it's time to start the week off and you know be productive, you're so tired um, that yeah, you 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 can't do anything, and it's you know you're 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 anxious and you're stressed, and so over the course of the week, you're you're getting very little sleep, um, and we all know the impacts of of poor sleep hygiene, um, physical, mental, emotional, all the things. Right um signs that the workplace is doing the most. I mean, I am a Scorpio and so I have very I, yes, I believe in astrology. I believe in the attributes attributed to Scorpios and Look, it's a
1: whole industry. I'm not hating. I'm chuckling cuz I wish I knew exactly what my <laughs> sign conferred beyond being like anxious and paranoid. Yes. But like
0: with respect to, um, you know, other signs, I think it's strong emotions of one sort or another. One of the things being like irritability, right? It could be related to the lack of sleep, um, mm-hmm. sort of um, being up with upset with yourself. But I find that when I am uh, extremely and continuously irritable, like it's a red flag for something that's going on, um, and I'm speaking with respect to the workplace, but that something, something Significant is happening that is contributing to that irritability. Um, also, just uh, related to what you said in terms of inability to manage anything, it's it's that inability to concentrate, right? Yeah, being able to focus um, is hard because you're tired, but your mind is also occupied with with thoughts of you know I can't you know do this. Um, you're just you 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 can't focus. Um, And that's been a huge problem for me, which we'll touch on later just in terms of like what the effect of that inability uh, to concentrate uh, has. And then lastly, you know, I over, I would say probably the last 15 years or so have struggled with like digestive issues. And um, having started guided meditation and sort of exploring health and wellness, I have come to understand that everyone's anxiety might manifest differently in terms of physically. And so my anxiety is that that not not just the knot in my stomach but like a really huge or significant decrease in digestive function. Um, you know, stomach aches. Um
1: mm-hmm.
0: like like I mean, I'm not going to go into full detail cuz I can have those conversations with my gastroenterologist, <laughs> but like it's real, you know, like the physical manifestation of that anxiety is in the pit of my stomach. And so, you know, these are are, are the the signs that especially when I can separate from what's happening in my personal life, right? right. If my personal life is popping or it's stable or, you know, you whatever know. the case. It's you coming know from work. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um That being said, right, we we think about like the flags and the the signals and like the things that tell us that something is going on. Um, The next stage is like, okay, so what exactly is going on? Like, what is what is the condition or conditions in the workplace that are contributing to one's work anxiety? I say for me, people, people, people.
1: Yep. <laughs> people. It's, not, people, it's people. really not the beautiful mission on a company's website or nope. all their social media mentions. It is who are the people you're in the trenches with every day.
0: Yep. Yep. And what kinds of behaviors are those people engaging in? Um, and so when I say people, I mean people who are engaged in negative. Behaviors, hot trash, supervisors, and co workers, right? And listen. such a great term. <laughs> Examples of hot trash, right? Things that have um, uh, concepts or terms that have sort of proliferated in the common discourse about bad workplace behaviors microaggression, passive aggression, um, you know, working to undermine you, just being outright mean uh or racist or sexist but it's the people who come to work and engage in those those behaviors um and you know there's a strong connection to your overall well-being that um makes it difficult to combat those behaviors without fear of losing your job right yeah Uh, you introduced me to um this really great concept. If you can explain for the listeners, um, I am experiencing it right now. Um, but if you could just explain, like this this notion of deny, attack, and reverse victim, like I, I thought it was really profound, um, and it relates to this notion of like negative, toxic behaviors by um, peers and particularly supervisors.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely not going to do full justice to this term, but it's something that I've seen come up on a bunch of different accounts that I follow on social media where essentially, so the shorthand for it is Darvo. And this is when I point out, hey, L, what you said to me was actually pretty hurtful. Mm-hmm. And here's why. And the first thing you do is you turn it right back on me yeah. and go, You know, Jay, actually, one, I disagree. And two, what you said by bringing that up offends every fiber of my being and my perfect sensibilities. I'm actually the victim here. You're the problem. And I think it's something that we see play out in just so many interactions where immediately, despite being the person who is hurt, suddenly the other person has centered themselves completely in the conversation. Yes. And you're just like, "What? I was this a Jedi mind trick? I don't even
0: know what happened. And when did it happen? I mean, I didn't even see the moment where where we where I went from being the victim to you being the victim. Um, and when it, ha- well, first of all, thank you so much for sort of giving me a new concept and language and framework to like frame this behavior. But it is, um, when your supervisor engages in it, again, it is so hard to talk about it because you know, they're going to keep using the Jedi mind tricks. But also, this is your livelihood, right? And this person is in a position to take that from you, the the means by which you support yourself and your family, clothe, feed and house yourself can be Stripped away or taken away by simply uh, engaging in self-advocacy, and so this condition, I would say, is like the primary cause for me, especially right now, um, is a is a primary condition that creates my work anxiety. Um, separately from that, I'd say workplace um, deadlines, but really just this notion of a fast-paced environment. Look, let's be clear. I work in the nonprofit sector, okay? So any deadlines that exist are created by humans, right? And right. really it, it's called for, we've convinced ourselves that this is required to squeeze as much as possible from our employees like we want to get every ounce of productivity even if it is at the expense of the mental health and well-being of employees and it's nonsense it's nonsense i mean when you think about like deadlines with respect to grants and stuff or like um like reports and compliance um compliance reporting You know, that makes sense. You can't just turn in things whenever you want to. Right. But I'm also speaking in terms of this notion of instant gratification, whereby you're not necessarily held accountable to some external deadline. You are held accountable for your supervisor's instant gratification. They just want it done
1: right now, even though it could be done at a different pace. And there's not always a rationale for it, right? Right, Like I've been out. I remember one time I was going to a friend's house to spend the weekend with her family Mm -hmm. and I'm literally on my way out. I get a text from my manager. This is a Saturday, by the way, Saturday (laughs) afternoon. And the text is, Hey, are you free? Because the CEO wants this report by tomorrow. And you can't say you're not free. You can't say you're not free. Right. Yeah. And the response was, you know what? Just hop in a car, take your laptop, work your way in the car, work tonight, and then you can have tomorrow off again. This was my weekend. Just really want to hammer that in. (laughs) Right. And so I did that and it was horrendous, right? One I had promised that I would spend time with my friend and her family, and it was incredibly rude to her family. Like I had to apologize for doing that. Mm -hmm. Two, I didn't feel like I could say no
0: because
1: I hadn't asked for having Saturday fully off. So if you didn't ask for having the day fully off, you best be prepared to carry your janky laptop with you wherever you're going, even if it's on a bus, pop it out and do some work which is crazy
0: it is crazy it is again rooted in arbitrary sort of capricious really um, deadlines that people in authority set not because there's a real rationale and they do it because they they they're in a position of authority they do it because they can Um, right and it is a huge source of stress and I know there are varying levels of this kind of behavior, depending on the the job sector that you're in or the type of work that you do, but overall, I think I feel as though there are very few jobs that cannot be organized in a way that you maintain a sensible sort of um, work culture related to time worked and days worked. Right? We have places uh, around the world who have like four day work weeks. And they are effective and efficient at what they do. And so that speaks volumes (laughs) as to what can be done in
1: other places. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of studies at this point, which point out that if you go above 50 hours, I think was one of the thresholds I saw, Mm -hmm. it's very, very marginal, the benefits that you see from work hours. And I remember I had a job where I was working 80 to 90 hour weeks, just dead tired on my feet but it didn't matter, right? We have this timeline that we need to hit. And yes, and we're not saying you shouldn't put in timelines or there shouldn't be accountability, but it's being thoughtful around when are we putting in those timelines? And is there better planning that we can do Mm -hmm. to make sure we're not impeding on people's lives outside work because we're not just our jobs. But anyway, I'm gonna get off my soapbox, and the floor back to you, No, you raise excellent, excellent,
0: excellent points, right? We are not our jobs. Um, And so just this nature of, for lack of a better term, it's not just workplace deadlines, but it's like organizational efficiency. We don't always have to create efficiencies, right? It's a balancing of the work that needs to be done with the human being who is doing the work. And without that balance, what you get are people who are, um, you get people who are anxious. You get people who have Sunday night blues. You get people who have poor quality of life outside of the workplace um, because of the significance of the horrible things happening in the workplace, right? This stuff isn't compartmentalized. It bleeds into your personal life. Um, and so that that's what you get. In any event, it is a huge, it's a significant, another significant condition in the workplace that contributes to my work anxiety. I say the last one um, is also significant for me as a black woman in the United States. Um, I have to say that I have had my fair share of experiences where I have been subjected to, uh racial and gender-based violence in the workplace, like sig- workplaces that have significant inequities related to those things. And I'll give you examples, right? Knowing that the reason why I'm not being uh, or receiving credit for my contributions is purely because I'm a woman or pu- purely because I'm black or purely because I am a black woman. Right. Um, having those contributions undermine, right? Uh, what that looks like is someone, you know, Creating or generating value for this organization, and having someone at the table say, "Well, I did this better," or "So and so did it better," or or not even using the word "better," but that's I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. But you know, Susan is the greatest of all time, actually. Right? Mm -hmm. Y'all remember that Kanye uh, VMA situation? Um, but that that's literally the equivalent, or just being silenced. Um you know, a lot of workplaces try to pretend that they care about your feedback and want you to to provide input. But when you do it, it's ignored. Um, or you're yeah. just slapped. Seriously, you're literally discouraged from giving it. Um, you're taken out of spaces where feedback is provided uh, and leveraged like important executive leadership meetings or working groups or any any of those spaces, right? You find yourself not not only not having a seat at the table but like literally being both directly and indirectly told like your opinion is not valued um and then finally just with respect to this this notion of inequity with respect to to race and gender like lack of grace and we we talked about this in the first episode but like just this notion that you have to be as and I'm speaking as a, a Black woman that I have to be almost, not almost, but I have to be perfect. In fact, I have to be beyond perfect in order to even receive the bare minimum in, in diplomacy. Cause I'm not even seeking external affirmation. Like affirmation is the icing on the cake, mm. but like just the, an expression of, or, or an indication that your work is valued. I don't, I don't right. know what that looks that that has different ways of uh, manifesting. But if you, not only that your work is valued, but that if you occasionally have a misstep, all of that good work you did still trumps that misstep, right? For Black folks, is a, a strong lack of grace. When we mess up, yo, you are incompetent. Any of the good stuff that you've done previously goes completely out of the window. And, and I've experienced that a lot. Whereas my counterparts, you know, I would say incompetence is even encouraged because they know they can kick the bucket down to someone else and take the credit. Um, there is so much grace. There is so much latitude. There is so much opportunity to learn versus, you know, being, um, you know, creating outputs or being productive. Um, oh, it's it's fine. You're, you're you're good. A lot of that kind of head nodding. So much grace extended to other people based on who they are. And so, when you work in in these spaces where you are the minority, you know that there's a high level of that. Um, there's a high risk of that. And it is a huge source of of work anxiety for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, this last point that you talked about, right? With the grace given for other folks, mistakes, missteps, reminds me of this video I was watching recently. It's by this woman named Cindy Gallup. It's called Mm. The Future for White Men in Advertising. And this one line really struck me where she talks about how she'll work with women clients and they'll say, you know, I don't want to be hired just because I'm a woman or just because mm-hmm. I'm an Asian woman. And she says her response is get over it and look around at all the incompetent men who were hired just Hello. because they were men. Hello. I mean, that hit, right? Because mm-hmm. I think it's so true that you don't often receive grace. And Look, I'm lucky enough to be working in tech as an Asian American woman. There are a lot more of us when I look around, but there are moments where, when you make that mistake, you're not given the, oh, you know what, that was, that was fine. It was a that one-time one-off. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it becomes a solar eclipse. Yeah. That is like the moment of the century, if not millennia, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, what you're talking about, I think my, Experiences have been very different in the sense of what I often struggle with in workplace anxiety is, I don't know if you remember in elementary school when we're first learning words and definitions, right? Mm -hmm. You got your list of words on one side, you got your list of definitions, and you got Mm -hmm. to draw a line, right, to match them. And what I've often found is that so many of the conditions and drivers of my anxiety are so slight. There's just this beautiful veneer of kindness and all of these cultural buzzwords on top Mm. and toxicity simmering underneath so that I'm like, well, maybe it's not, maybe it's not really that bad. Right? Right. But in the aggregate, in the aggregate, it's like tiny
0: little, I mean, you know, the conversation around microaggressions and they're micro, right? But they add up.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, what I think about that has really driven my work anxiety in the past has been gaslighting cute mm-hmm. Katy Perry's hot and cold. <laughs> <laughs> that mm-hmm. song, plays. But you know, it's what you're talking about if you get amazing feedback glowing mm-hmm. and then not even an hour later, suddenly someone will come and say, okay, you made this mistake and we really need to talk about this. What? And no grace. No grace. And it it destabilizes your sense of how you're performing. And it's something that I also myself as a manager now have to constantly watch out for of mm-hmm. when I'm bringing up to a direct that they've made a mistake, right? It's a typo, but it's in a newsletter to very senior executives look, I get that it seems small. Here's why it matters. And for me, it's remembering if this is a one-off thing, it happens every couple months. I don't care. Sometimes I'll just fix it, not bother. But yes, if I see it happening every newsletter that I send where you have incomplete thoughts or there's just random stuff in here, I'm going to have a conversation with you about it, but I'm not going to denigrate the rest of your work on the basis of this one thing. So that's one. The second one tied to this is someone's bad memory, AKA what I've determined and defined as alternative facts.
0: Listen, if he was good for nothing else, he can't, and I'm not going to, he who must not be named. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was the terminology, right? I mean, this is the. I asked you to do something and a day later I come back and you're like, cool, here's the thing you asked me for. And suddenly it's all changed up. Right. Right. And, and thinking, you pretend you communicated it, but you didn't because the, the whole, everything right. is
0: living in your head. And so exactly. I, I'm being held accountable for what's in your head. That
1: I can't see. And let me tell you, first time I learned this spotty wireless connection, couldn't hear everything clearly, got reamed out by a manager. After that, we aligned to this manager's credit. They suggested, you know what? Let's take notes, document everything. And that has been a life changer because receipts. Make sure you got a book of receipts. Yes, to receipts. And then there's the situation, you know, both of you and I have been people managers where I've had situations of a manager gaslighting me from above Mm -hmm. and then a direct who's undermining me from below Mm. going behind my back to my manager something goes wrong because see alternative facts and then i get pulled in to fix it i don't have information on either side Mm -hmm. and now i'm thinking i got no one on my team who's actually yeah. fighting for me and I can't even talk to anyone about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it'll be brought back to, well, you must just not be a good direct and not a good manager.
0: Let me ask you a question though, related to that in terms of examples of ways that your, are um, so in the, in the equation of being undermined both from above and below, what kinds of behaviors have you observed that the person below engages in um, to undermine you?
1: I mean, for me, this was this person literally going to my manager and working on projects, which he would tell me about, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't give me full details. And then when I would say, hey, this doesn't seem off, she would say, no, no, this is what so-and-so said. And I remember there was a mistake in one of these comms to a super senior set of executives. Mm He freaked out about it gave her a lot of tough feedback. She came back to me told me this is what happened and I had to sit with her and my manager separately and say look Neither of you kept me in the loop and I told her I don't have I don't have an ego right if you want to go to my manager That's fine. I don't care but if you want me to have your back, I can't do that if you're not keeping me in the loop and She was someone who had been at the organization for longer than I had. So had a lot deeper networks and connections Mm -hmm. with folks Mm -hmm. who would back Mm -hmm. her up. Yep, And that brings me to one of my other points of a lack of trust, right? Mm -hmm. We've all been in those companies where you feel adrift and isolated. You can't talk to anybody about what you're going through so you actually feel like you're the only one you're the incompetent one who just can't seem to figure it out Mm -hmm. and you hear stories about when someone does go to hr with concerns i've had a friend go to hr and the person said well i don't know you super well so i can't vouch for you to your manager that's crazy (laughs) i mean It's things like that and just a lack of control over your work environment and personal schedule Mm -hmm. wherein you suddenly have relegated everything to this one job. Mm -hmm. And I think often about how I had to request for a full weekend off without having to worry about bringing my laptop with me wherever I went to do work or being on call for a job that frankly didn't require it. Right.
0: And, and and honestly, even if the nature of the job was challenging, ultimately, and this is just sort of like an uh, a moral or philosophical stance about the, our relationship with work, is that you are not beholden to your job. You all mutually agree to a set of boundaries. You provide your labor. They compensate you for that labor. It is, a, it is an, a, a transaction of mutual agreement. And I find it hard to believe that on the front end, you said, and you get to determine what I do outside of work hours. Most, right. places, most places give you a tour of duty, or I mean, that's just my public sector experience in terms of like being very clear about when you are expected to work. Because when you communicate that on the front end, I get to make an informed decision about whether or not this is the job for me. So if you tell me on the front end, um, weekend works, because a lot of job descriptions say weekend work required or some weekend work required, they put that on the front end. But if you don't tell me that, however you have that expectation, expectation in your head, that is a problem. You are right, not- like you i need to be a chance to opt out exactly exactly and so that definitely resonates in terms of like this notion of 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 trying to control you outside of what we contracted to do what we mutually contracted to do for the purpose of this 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 uh relationship right? um so yeah i mean we're, we you know we we sort of touched on actually let me i want to double back on lack of trust. (sighs) When I think about, first of all, I've said it over and over again, perennial job hopper. (laughs) You know, I am a job escape artist. And so with that territory comes having a lot of first days, a lot of first three months, a lot of navigation of different uh, office politics and understanding um, how to cultivate trust uh, with new co-workers, especially if it's an older organization where the people who report to you have that institutional knowledge and to your point, have those networks. And it's a really precarious position to be in because, because of the strength of that person's networks and knowledge, you have to leverage them to be successful in your job. You have to work collaboratively with those people to be successful. And one false move, one false move can completely, completely derail, you know, the first six months to a year. And I think about building trust and how to do it in an authentic and organic way. Um, and I just wondered in terms of like, you clearly not had as many uh, first days as me, but like when you go into an organization, like how do you build camaraderie and trust such that you don't have to worry about your, um, the person you supervise and going to your supervisor about nonsense or the person you supervise not intentionally uh, doing their best, right? Um, and that reflecting poorly upon you. Like, what have you done to build trust? Because I think it's a really critical aspect of this whole notion of people, people, people. If we go back to the start of the conversation, it's just like, the people.
1: (laughs) It is invariably the people who create these conditions. No, for sure. I mean, I think I've definitely, had to learn this the hard way as we both have after being burned at a couple of organizations Mm -hmm. and i will say that for one of my previous jobs in spite of the many areas that i did not agree with how my manager handled things one thing that i really admired them for was their ability to start building out some of these relationships with people they didn't know yeah and what I've usually done is come into a place and, you know, just asked who are the people that I'll be working with? Who are some of the stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And this was easier in the pre times (laughs) where you could just walk by someone's desk. Right. And you can kind of start to pick up on the vibes. And again, I say this as someone who is not often in the token group, right? Mm -hmm. I see myself reflected in a number of my other colleagues, but oftentimes it would be small talk and just getting to know someone, what are they working on and slowly building from there to figure out what's really going on. That's the ideal world, right? Right. Where you can talk to people, get to know them, Mm -hmm. have them see you as a human, which Mm -hmm. I know sounds
0: crazy so small but
1: <laughs> is a huge part right that is a big problem in this country where we don't see black and brown folks as people right but in those situations where and this is what's happened to me before you come in you don't have a network internally already right and turns out you won the lottery of crazy and toxic flash <sighs> Britney Spears song that was my you, jam by the way Right? Such a great song.
0: Top three, Britney (laughs) Spears.
1: Then it becomes more of, okay, well, now that I'm working on, presumably a lot of projects are seldom in one silo, who are some of my stakeholders who I Mm -hmm. start to jive well with? How do I get to know them better? And honestly, Elle, that was my saving grace in Mm -hmm. one of my previous roles where... One, I had a friend in a different department and she had a manager who knew me and he was willing to talk to me because she and I had worked together previously. I knew I had at least that one ally, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it also was in my circle of peers. There was one of my peers who I felt like wasn't scared of my manager at the time he was the only person and it was this very slow dance over a couple of months of getting comfortable enough to tell him i am terrified to come to work because i never feel good enough and i never know what the outburst of anger might look like right and it was only from talking to him that i learned other people felt the same way and i know this is not a perfect panacea by any means but I think it's you'll know there are some people who you're like all right you're good people I can trust you and you start building it out and they're the ones who I feel like are so critical for grounding you because one they know the professional context two they know you three they know the quality of your work and they're the ones who remind you L you are a badass who is phenomenal (laughs) at her job All of this stuff that you're hearing from your manager, that's nonsense. And let me tell you all the reasons, because that's what you need, right? You need to know it is not you. It is the environment. It is your manager. These things are not intrinsic, nor do they have any bearing on your worth and what your contributions and their value are.
0: Yeah, no. That this. I mean, you raise a good point in terms of like having a voice that counters the the negative narrative, Um, and not one ju- that just does it in a way that's supposed that isn't um, uh, serious or significant. You know, it's not the they're there, you're fine, but it's the let me let me provide receipts of how great you are. These are the projects that you worked on. I have had exactly. the pleasure with working with you. I have demonstrated evidence of how good you are. And so when you have these moments I need you and I'm here to remind you that the bulk of your career or is 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 stellar. Like I am here to keep you grounded. You know, I double back to this notion of of lack of trust or um you know, uh how do you develop that trust with your colleagues because I find that yes, I definitely eventually find the people who keep me grounded or who can ultimately be a support um, when when the the times get tough and just be a friend, right? Because you don't befriend people for what they can necessarily give to you, but they sort of organically start to serve that purpose. But I find that I also come in performing in a way for the existing employees, um, mm. performing in a way that isn't necessarily um, intuitive. Um, is probably overly deferential. Um and it's just rooted in having come into organizations where there is significant mistrust. Yep. With, with the leadership and and you know how things have gone and you being like brought in by that same toxic leadership so you potentially being sort of a allied part. with Exactly. That. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a performance and, you know, it's something that I'll continue to sort of grapple with, but, um, just trying to build trust in a way that makes sense, but also does not give away your, for lack of a better word, power.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because I think there, there, it's problematic to also be, or try to overly ingratiate yourself. Oh, hundred percent. Um, yeah. Like it can, obviously, it could definitely like backfire. Um, And so yeah, I think those are, um, we've talked about some conditions that I think a lot of people can say, these things have existed and happened to me in one way or another. And whether I've sort of couched it as a condition that creates work anxiety, it is it is a thing. Um, I would love to work at uh, a couple of the jobs I've had, they've opened up with a video from Zappos. Um, oh, with, yeah. About how, like, you know, the, there's such a strong emphasis on workplace culture. Right. Um, and they've given the impression that that's what's going on, mm. <laughs> or that's with what the they aspire to.
1: Was it like an Emerald City situation? Everybody's got the green glasses on, (laughs) beautiful culture, and then you walk in and you're like, "Oh no, it's it's all
0: it's all an illusion." All an illusion. All an illusion. Um, but given that these are the kinds of things that happen to a lot of us, especially BIPOC folks, you know, we've talked about sort of like the symptoms and um, or the signs. The kind of conditions that create these signs. Um, what has been the effect on you personally, mentally, emotionally, um, physically, of work anxiety in particular? Like, what have you seen um, occur, like, um, to your psyche as a result of like these kinds of negative experiences in the workplace?
1: Yeah. I mean, we talked through, right, the physical signs and that's part of it of the constant headaches, the tension, and honestly, probably diminished health because you're working so many hours, or this is what's been true for me, at least working so many hours to try and prove that I'm worthy, that I'm good enough. That takes away from your ability to do anything else. I've literally had friends who've told me, we can't rely on you because you're always working. And that was definitely a tough wake up call for me at one of my previous roles. But on a more internal looking basis, I think for me, the biggest and most painful one was a loss of self-confidence. And I know that we love to bandy around, be more confident, just own it, be a boss. But I think what was really damaging for me was feeling like I lost my voice. I didn't trust myself. Mm -hmm. Like I had an aerial moment where my workplace was Ursula. (laughs) and That's tough because
0: little mermaid reference for you people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was tough because I think when I remember reading about how do you learn to speak up? The bigger issue was that I didn't trust my intuition anymore. And that was what had gotten me the job. And I'm sure that's been the case for you, right? You are brilliant. And that's why you're hired only to come in and have almost the roots of your intuition and your brilliance upended. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: without Mm -hmm. that, how do you thrive? How do you survive? Right. Right. Uh, So I think that's a big one. There's, and that will lead to poor performance because you start doubting every single decision you're making, you're second guessing. So by nature of that, you become more inefficient. That can sometimes show, I mean, I remember going to peers and asking them to check work and it wasn't a, hey, Elle, let me know what you think. It's a, hey, Elle, I don't, is, is this right? Does this yeah. look okay? Is this fine? Right, and that really understands-
0: permission, you know? Exactly.
1: That- um, it comes with fatigue from putting up a facade because you're so trained internally. But you, all, you and I both know this. We can't show that. You had to no. still turn up with a hundred watt smile on your face. Unless you be and the angry
0: a, black woman.
1: Right. <laughs> and as an Asian woman, it's just a, we expect you to be smiling to be proper to be quiet yep. and just go with the flow right mm-hmm. don't raise any ruckus all of that and so you end up operating really from a place of absence and diminished value which honestly led me to a point where I was considering should I just down level myself yeah. should I take a role that's lower because maybe I'm really not cut out for this and thankfully I had a friend and a colleague who said, no, before you think about doing that, why don't you have a conversation with someone else first mm-hmm. and actually validate whether or not that's true? And I think that's one of the most dangerous things about these toxic workplaces. Yeah. They really lead us to feel like that's the reality when we've been dropped into like a VR experience. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to just pull ourselves back. Virtual reality yeah. is not the real you. Yeah, and just to jump in on
0: that point, you know, we had talked about it um, earlier like this notion of down leveling, and I'm bringing in a part of sort of my current experience. Like, you know, I mentioned that it's great that someone had that conversation with you about hey, before you take yourself out of the running for this or another opportunity, or determine that you don't have the capacity to do something, get a third party sort of opinion, get a second opinion about that. And I wish, I, I am in the midst of a down leveling and I wish that I could have done that because as I shared with you earlier, right? This down leveling is, is part, you know, selecting jobs or work assignments that don't necessarily align with your right. skill level or your capacity, right? Because you know you, you can, you are a high performer and you generally know that, but these work conditions have created self doubt. But also, not only selecting jobs or, or assignments that are um, for lack of, like, are not aligned it's the resulting compensation that isn't aligned with what you back. Absolutely, absolutely. When we think about, and I'm just speaking in terms of like the data on generational black wealth, you know, you and your counterparts of other races and ethnicities start on the same path, are at the same level. And because of the conditions um, in the workplace that um, disproportionately negatively impact you as a black person, what you see is a divergence between your past. They start shooting up, you know. Right. They, they you know, you look down, you look at their LinkedIn profile, and they're executive director, this executive, what that, and you, you are stagnant, right, because you have experience was equivalent to workplace abuse and violence, so much so that you second guess yourself, you're not as thoughtful about the opportunities um, that you can pursue, you electively pursue things that um, don't challenge you, and you're not paid. So over time, you and your colleague who started off at the, the same place, are so far apart in terms of wealth. When they, when that right. person retires, they're good. Meanwhile, yeah. you're gonna be the person that has to work until they're 75 <laughs> because of right. all that lost income over time. And so absolutely, like this notion of down-leveling, and I, I emphasize it because, you know, the podcast is meant to be cathartic uh, for us and an opportunity to share experiences, but it should also be like a flag for listeners don't do
1: this do don't not do, do this the things
0: that we've done seriously so thank you for you know um, highlighting that point
1: yeah but i'm curious i mean i've talked through kind of the things that i think both of us have struggled right with that lower self esteem what are some of those other ways that you've seen the anxiety really now take hold in ways that you wish it wouldn't of your life
0: yeah I mean I think you definitely hit on this notion of down leveling which was a, a huge um, hugely resonated with me and also this loss of confidence sort of you know esteem I I guess I'd also add this notion of isolation it, particularly in the workplace right um, mm, yeah we, we talked early about earlier about uh, the importance of having workplace allies and camaraderie but when you are um, enduring the forces of, of, of toxic, uh, stressful workplace behaviors. Um, and you start sort of that mental downward spiral. You start to isolate yourself. You start to remove yourself from the table. You start to, um, feel as though you, um, are the one who is a, like, you're the bad part of this equation exclusively, right? Like, like nothing else is wrong. It's just you. And then, yeah, I mean, and then there's this element of like, you may have workplace allies, but you also are likely to have people who are willing to reinforce the way that things are always done. That leads to further isolation, right? You have people who are on your level, your peers or even su- subordinate to you who are willing to also engage in those behaviors, or at the very least, fail to call them out? Um, and so it does create isolation, even when you do have allies, because there are limitations. Like there's, there's, there's when you have an ally at the C-suite level, <laughs> and yep. when you have an ally who's in the cubicle next to you. <laughs> like those, those are two, two different things. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, this also makes me think of over the years, I've seen the language shift, right? So some people will actually talk about accomplices, not allies, because allies are kind of the nice, pretty, I got that in my LinkedIn profile and my Twitter profile bios. But an accomplice is someone who's willing to give up some of their power. They're willing to go down in the trenches with you and fight with you and for you. And Michelle Kim has written extensively about this, definitely for listeners, highly recommend checking out what she's put together. But I think for me, that's what I've really looked for and tried to be as I've moved up in my career, sometimes at the same company of how do I help prevent this from happening for someone else? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. because it's so painful, you just, it kills me when I start, when I've had friends, who I've seen start to become what my mom calls a shrinking violet, right? Yeah. They're starting to lose some of that luster because they don't trust themselves anymore, mm-hmm. which kind of takes us to that, this next point of, you know, Al, what have you done to navigate the work anxiety? Because the last thing, so we're trying to honestly move from this point of surviving to thriving. Yeah. What does it take? You know, have you figured
0: it out? <laughs> I haven't. I have not, and at, you know, I am literally for for however long I need to be in the workforce, I will dedicate the rest of my working days to really trying to figure out how to to do this because I, as someone who has job hopped, I don't believe there is a working environment that is completely free of some of the behaviors and and conditions that we've identified. Um, I'm just not at a place right now where I have learned how to effectively navigate work anxiety. And so, you know, I said, like, again, I am the job escape artist. I am the perennial job hopper, right? And that's how I have managed it, which is not managing it at all, really. Um, And given what I know now, and it's taken me a long time to arrive at this point. Um, but number one is to work at it in earnest. But some small ways that I've started to sort of incorporate into my 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 toolkit or my arsenal is just like being very, being open about my feelings. And I know that sometimes, especially in the professional uh, setting, people eschew sort of like, feely language touchy feely mm-hmm. language right and so i think there is definitely a science to how you frame it but just ve- being um clear that i am experiencing stress right. based on these behaviors right i don't have to get into touchy feely language i can say the way you talk to me is demoralizing the the way you 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 frame this issue or the way you silence me at the table suggests that my my opinion or my thoughts aren't are wanted, appreciated (laughs) at this table. Right. Um, and so that's like one small way that I've um, you know, tried to advocate for myself. Um, even if it means that I'll be misunderstood or dismissed, I think it's still important for your own sort of um there's a sort a kind of validation that comes with I'm articulating how I feel and you're dismissive of that, so I know I'm not crazy. I know. I
1: mean, <laughs> go ahead. I just I just need to jump in here though because you said it's a small thing. I actually don't think it's a small thing. I think it's a tremendous act of courage to be able to be open about your feelings. Right. Mm-hmm. You are literally being vulnerable, even if you're not talking about feelings. Yeah just by framing up what you're going through and talking into it from, you know, I think it's a situation action outcome or situation action result framework. That's tremendous. And I say this as someone who has been sick to her stomach and mm. held off giving feedback right. for the better part of seven or eight months. Mm. And it took a peer of mine who actually, was more junior than me. She was actually the person who gave me the courage and actually went in and had this conversation before me because that was how terrified I was. So listeners, if you've done this, please yeah. know that is a huge act and you need to recognize how much it takes to even get to that point because there is the risk that comes with it. All right, yeah. back to you, Al. No, thank you for that.
0: Thank you for that, Jay. I appreciate you. Um. And so, it's not to to minimize the efforts, the the other efforts that I've engaged in, because I y- your point is taken. It does, you know, it does take courage. Um, I'll say that um, activities like just trying to recenter myself, um, highlighting that I when we worked in physical spaces, just being able to leave the building, take a walk around the block. Not be reactive and impulsive um, to right. a negative condition and allow myself to think through, I think is a very um, important and profound sort of um, tool to have at your disposal because um, you have every right to be upset in those moments, but like how you react to the situation could dictate what what happened. Like being solutions oriented, like how you react in those moments may dictate your future. And so taking a pause, to say, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is my contribution. This is their contribution. This is what I want to happen. How do I get there? And maybe that's taking a walk around the block. Um, at some of my old organizations, it will say, hey, so-and-so, can we do our kitchen chat? We would literally go to the kitchen um, at certain part, like towards the end of the day, eat a snack, commiserate for like 10 minutes, and it was a huge confidence booster. It was a reminder that you weren't alone. It was a a an opportunity to get in the moment feedback. Um, and obviously, you have to be like if your 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 office is an open concept office, please don't do this. <laughs> Go for a walk. Go, Go for, for a walk. walk.
1: Everybody needs to get their ten thousand steps in, or yes. five thousand if you're you know not as ambitious like me. And uh, given a a
0: side note in terms of like doing this on virtual um, uh, platforms that companies are using now in order to uh, facilitate meetings and the like, just know that you are always being watched. So if you are not the host of the meeting, your conversations might not be private, okay? Oof.
1: Yeah, make sure that little red light isn't going on. (laughs) Exactly. Or just hop on a phone call you know, Gmail, text, anything that is not related
0: to the platform that's being used for a meeting space. But like the overall the notion is like taking a breather to commit like connect with a work friend, someone who can help ground you. Um, and then you know, something that I've recently incorporated is meditation. It has been um so helpful just in my life, not just um with respect to work, but just life, this notion of Focusing on the breath, being present, centering yourself. When you are not projecting into the future, you can actually live and appreciate what's happening in the moment, and think clearly and critically about what's happening in the moment. Um, and I think, you know, for anyone, it, just as a life practice, I think meditation is 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 bomb. And then I, I'd say lastly. Uh, given that I'm, I'm I'm just on this path of trying to learn how to navigate. What I really appreciate, appreciate about you, Jay, is your commitment to being thoughtful about what you do by doing the research. And so, you know, again, for as long as I am in the workforce and I have to sell my labor, like I need to be very, very thoughtful and intentional about the types of organizations that I work for, the positions that I seek, and not just relying on my own intuition, I think is an important part, but I think consulting other resources, whether you know, it's written materials that I find on the internet, conversing with people in the organization, um, all of those things I think are um, critical for being mo- much more intentional and thoughtful than I have been um, in terms of selecting jobs. Like if you're running away from a job versus, mm-hmm. um,
1: Running you know, towards yes, a new opportunity,
0: exactly. Like, if like the op- the risk of making a misstep or finding yourself in the same exact position again is very high. Um, you know, and 100%. so I, That's
1: that's
0: that's that's that on that. What a, what have you done? And I you you definitely inspire me in terms of just like thinking critically about how to navigate this this work anxiety. So I'd love to hear like
1: some of the things that you've done. Yeah. I mean, you know me, me and Google, best friends. <laughs> I feel like I'm one of their true power users. I would say that it's been rough, right? Like you, I wish that I could say, yes, I've got these three things. I do it and I am good. The anxiety right. is gone. But the reality is that it is comes back even when it's not welcome i've put Mm -hmm. a do not disturb sign on my mental door and it just keeps opening and walking in anyway and i think for me it's been a couple of things so one when i was really struggling to find my voice to figure out how to build trust i read so many different articles i listened to a ton of podcasts Mm -hmm. and just to get a sense of what were other people going through and that was helpful right to realize it wasn't just me because mm-hmm. I think that's the most dangerous part of any of these situations where we're contending with our anxiety somehow we think we are special snowflakes and nobody else has this level of anxiety <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the second thing and I've been extremely lucky to have this is being able to go to therapy consistently mm-hmm. and having a therapist who is a person of color and is someone who gets it not having to explain things Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. he doesn't let me off the hook right he will not say yeah that's tough it'll be yeah that person's tough but what do you know to be true for you is what Mm -hmm. this person is saying to you reality so it's been honestly several years of working through that and with Therapy have been building out those practices of doing thought logs You know creating affirmations for myself to hold me to What is really true for me not just someone else's projection that I've let become my reality the other thing that I think has been honestly a lifesaver is having a web of peers who I can rely on and I don't just look at this within my current company, right? I pull from, I mean, you've been on the receiving end of some very desperate, anxious text messages. So <laughs> for better or worse, you are you are part of it. Sorry, you can't okay. escape. <laughs> but I think it's those friends from college, from grad school, all of that, right? Who've seen me, I have my former managers or mentors who know me as a good performer and I can't emphasize that enough because there are people who can say oh no Elle you are a top performer Mm -hmm. remember that remember this has nothing to do with you um giving that feedback it's really tough for me I rehearse it constantly before I actually give it I remember Even when I was uh, leaving a role, I actually practiced my resignation speech with like four different people because I was so nervous. And I'm glad I did because that's a whole other story next time. (laughs) And the last one is honestly navigating it means sometimes knowing when you have to escape. Right? You talked about job hopping, but I actually think that that's fine there are places that are not meant for us and we need to know when we just got to go, but we just want to make sure that when we're leaving, we're leaving with our eyes wide open about what's next. Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, This has been so, I don't know, cathartic. As I take this time to reflect on my next move, I just, I want to shout out like, just this conversation, <laughs> I needed it. Sorry, I'm making it about me, but sorry, this is great. Um, and we've we've talked about, you know, the signs, the causes, the effects of workplace anxiety. You know, can you give us some workable wisdom for the listeners and
1: for Elle? Yeah, I mean we talked about, right, those first early warning signs, if you will, of anxiety, whether they be from a physical perspective of the tension, I'll step away from the Aleve bottle, you know, (laughs) poor sleep, (laughs) digestive issues, all of those manifestations, that's our body telling us something is off here, right? There's the mental piece of that dread that manifests itself not just in the thought, but in our entire bodies of okay. the Sunday night blues. I don't, I don't want to go there. I'm walking into, I do not. <laughs> yeah. And then that's what helps us figure out something's wrong. But yeah. sometimes we then have to figure out how do we bridge that to the conditions that have right. led to this anxiety. And I think this is one where one, it's important to recognize that the conditions as we are telling themselves ourselves about them won't always match the pain that we feel. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you diminish the signs, but so many of those things start with the people that we work with who are toxic, who undermine us, who belittle us, who play mind games with their (laughs) alternative facts. And make us feel like we are Katy Perry singing because we don't know where we stand. Right. But from there, it's then about thinking through, okay, well now I know what I'm seeing. I know what's happening and recognizing what are the results of this beyond the physical and mental diminishment of ourselves that we're feeling. And that's, you know, both of, you and I have taken and settled for less than what we're worth. We've lost our anchoring in who we are, undermined our own success because these mental demons are just in there doing the most in our heads, (laughs) preventing us from being the brilliant folks that we are. But I think what we've realized is, you know, there's ways for us to navigate it, right? One, we got to just accept we don't have the silver bullet for this. There's no vaccine for anxiety and that's okay. But Mm -hmm. there's small things we can do, right? From, you know, these now virtual rooms, remember to keep an eye so that nobody's (laughs) recording those, right, but just doing our coffee room, our virtual coffee room, catches ups to, you know, thinking through how do I give feedback to someone, leaning into your courage, doing your homework to make sure that you know exactly what you're walking into or you're okay with Mm -hmm. some of the risks. And honestly, at the end of the day, making sure you've got a good crew to back you up. They're going to walk you back from that ledge of walking down to a lower thing than what you deserve. So yeah, I know I've just thrown a lot, but this was super helpful for me as someone who has been in a terrible place, gotten to great roles only to find myself in the sunken place once again, (laughs) needing to reemerge and stop listening to the clink, clink, clink of those teaspoons.
0: Word. Thank you so much um, for that, Jay. Um, I think you definitely hit the nail on the head. And um, again, like, there's no silver bullet or or comprehensive answer that we're necessarily providing but just really working in earnest to identify the things that you've said um and uh find ways to navigate like that's the best that you can do and i think you great some really great um examples of that so thank you
1: yeah well listeners thanks for joining us this week on work the unworkable And come back again next time where we'll commiserate about being a mess, or at least when we think we're a hot mess. (laughs) Bye.